Today's episode of the Guru Prasaria podcast is sponsored by Martin Capital Advisors, a registered investment advisor managing investment portfolios for long-term income and capital appreciation with a fiduciary duty. Located in San Antonio, Texas. To learn more, visit martincapital.com or give them a call at 210-694-2100. The following contains adult language, content, and descriptions of actions not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Guru Prasario Media presents the Guru Prasario Podcast, starring me, Mal Sanchez. The word entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot, but it's defined by very few. Join me as I sit down with those that I've come to know, and through the art of conversation, we can all learn a little something from the nature of our work. Let's start the show. Boom, back for another episode here on the Group Sorry Podcast. Again, here with my co-host, Matthew Duke from the Duke Law Firm here in San Antonio, Texas. We're actually filming right next to the Alamo Dome in St. Paul Square, as you understand. We actually brought in Tommy Calvert today, so of Precinct 4 Bear County. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Tommy introduce himself and give us a little background. Uh, give us a little background, Tommy. Well, thanks, Mauricio. I'm glad to have you here in the precinct. I like to call it God's country, and I thank you, Matt, as well, for being here and uh, all the things you're doing in law. Uh, so I'm from the east side. I was born just a block off of Martin Luther King and at the top of Freedom Bridge, where the Martin Luther King March starts every year, as almost my front yard. And um, and so I really feel blessed to represent Precinct 4. It's a beautiful uh, precinct because it represents downtown, all the tourist things that you know, the river walk and all those kinds of things. Uh, my grandmother was over on West French, which is by San Antonio College in Temple Bethel. So uh, my my dad, you know, he it's one of those things where growing up, your parents sometimes wanted to have talks with you where you couldn't leave. And so he was like driving down French Street. He's like, that's where you're conceived. And I'm like, oh, dad, <laughs> TMI. Can I jump out now? There's history everywhere. I mean, everywhere in the precinct, right? <laughs> and he's so like that. So everything's historical, son. And then, um, so of course, uh, when my parents divorced, my mother moved off of Perrin Vital, and uh, my father was over by the AT&T Center, where he still is today. So all of these represent the quadrants of, of the precinct from the southeast past Elmendorf. Um, and then uh, I was blessed to get a scholarship, graduate from St. Mary's Hall, went to Tufts University, did international relations and economics up until my very last semester when they wanted me to take a fourth calculus class. And I said, nah, I'm good on that. I'll drop the economics part. I understand economics enough. I don't need a fourth calculus class. Uh, Tufts was a very brainy place. Uh, we were all nerds. Yeah. Still still maintain that nerdness today. Uh, and, uh, and ran a global human rights organization that uh, fought slavery and genocide around the world. So uh, even in my senior year, I was one of three students who was asked to go into the war zone in Sudan. Uh, and so we, we helped free thousands of slaves. And, uh, and I did that not only uh, in faraway places like Sudan, but also set up most of the human trafficking infrastructure in the United States. Uh, so I uh, worked with the New York Police Department, the Los Angeles Police Department, the Boston Police Department, uh, the federal government uh, helped run the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force, the wow. task force between Mexico, San Diego, all the way up through Los Angeles, city of LA was my client. Uh, and I helped pass the first $50 million for human trafficking um, 
in the modern era, since Reconstruction. So um, that was kind of my start in global human rights, helped uh, democratize Burma. I, I helped write the Burmese Freedom and Democracy Act with Charlie Rangel, um, did covert work along the Thai-Burma border. And uh, from there, my findings of the people of Burma being for forced to build an oil pipeline for an oil company called Unical. I brought that back. I met Congressman Charlie Rangel, who was chairman of the tax committee called Ways and Means in New York at Riverside Church. I was speaking at Riverside, and so was he. And then I came to his committee and, and got those sanctions put in. And that, that was what allowed Aung San Suu Kyi, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, to come back into power. Now, I haven't always been happy with everything that Aung San Suu Kyi has done since then, uh, because I am a, a pro-freedom, pro-democracy person. But um, right now, there's no doubt that, that freedom and democracy is much better in Burma than having a military dictatorship, which is uh, kind of like, oh, gosh, do I have to get back on this job again? Because, you know, they're, they're going through some times right now, right? Uh, so after running the American Anti-Slavery Group, uh, I started a PR firm. So PR and advertising and uh, did both Spanish and English language, uh, TV, radio, uh, print, digital. Um, so did that for years, had the city of LA as a client, um, actually the commission on the status of women and did a lot of anti-trafficking work in Orange County and things like that while I was out there, started a foundation out there for a banker, uh, in San Diego and was living there two weeks at a time. I was asked to be a press secretary on the U S Senate campaign. Um, and at the time, I felt like this candidate could like be vice president. I mean, he was 40 years old. He was worth $400 million. He was a brilliant lawyer. He'd settled a billion dollars in cases. And, and I said, you know what? Uh, he asked me to, because we were going up against Karl Rove. And he said, look, you're going to have to focus on my race. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Going up against Karl Rove, you know, I'm like 25, 26 at the time. Yeah, I think I got to focus on that guy. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not an easy assignment. So, okay. So I, I, I cut all my business in California, which was a big mistake. I, I went through a little bit of a, of a depression bout. But anyway, um, and, and he ended up dropping out of the race. We had a $20 million oh, exploratory no. committee. I mean, we, we had two jets for the, for the campaign. It was a pretty, pretty nice Jesus. campaign. I'd never been in a campaign where we had two jets. Wow. Pretty fancy. Anyway, so uh, I had to rebuild my business. So I had the water company here and some other clients and uh, uh, ended up... Uh, Starting a radio station, KROV, San Antonio Community Radio, stands for Restore Our Voice. Still on now. Still on. And uh, it was as a result, really, uh, when, 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 when the number one urban radio talk show host in America, Tom Joyner, uh, decided to endorse Barack Obama, Clear Channel here pulled the plug on them. My father and I didn't think that was any accident. Uh, at that time, it was a big deal for Tom Joyner to endorse Barack Obama because Hillary Clinton was leading in the polls. Barack Obama was not not the candidate, even in the black community, to get behind. A lot of people were on the fence. But most, most were actually for Hillary at that time. Wow. And so uh, there was a meeting a week later at UTSA downtown. About 300 people showed up. I was just somebody in the audience. One of the talk show hosts, Kathy Clay Little, who used to be a columnist for the Express News and an on-air personality on KSJL, uh, she said that um, you know, she was getting a private business group together in order to raise money to get another station. So our first president of the board was a lady named Major Gail Sledge. She was in the, in the Army. And uh, Major Sledge said, well, Kathy, what happens if you sell the radio station like the Sutton family? So the Sutton family, actually, I think they used to have a presence. No, it wasn't here. It was uh, by the Alamo. Anyway, and, and uh, she, 
And she said, if you sell the radio station, then the community is right back where, you know, we're starting without a voice and without R&B music and all that kind of stuff. So I stood up and I said, well, as a business structure, we could do it as a nonprofit like NPR, um, and it's codified in the bylaws. It's for San Antonio, never to be sold. As long as it's financially supported, it'll always be here. And because I raised my hand and opened my mouth, I became the general manager and did a lot of work, lost a lot of money. Uh, it's a very expensive business. Uh, and and uh, so a couple years later, fast forward, uh, I was asked to uh, participate in a $9 million television show on MSNBC on human trafficking investigations with NBC News, uh, undercover investigative news program. What year was this? Can we, can we 2013. Did somebody YouTube that? that we- well, um, Kind of, sort of. I'm going to tell you the story. So, yeah, yeah. so uh, it was it was a great show. I, bu- I believe we were going to win an Emmy for it, but we had a lawsuit filed. We were going to be the Thanksgiving weekend special for MSNBC. Hmm. And so uh, my friend Aaron uh, Cohen, who is the best anti-trafficking investigator in the world, we used to go into Sudan and, and Burma together. I trained him, and then he, he surpassed me. Uh, and, and he said, someone filed a lawsuit. And I'm like, who would want to file a lawsuit against people helping folks out of human trafficking? What the heck kind of sense does that make? Well, in the anti-trafficking movement, there's a divide between um, abolitionists like myself who think that you, if you find a trafficking victim, you should help them be whatever career they want. If, if, you, if you get a woman that wants to be a beautician, send her to cosmetology school. Or an accountant, send her to college for that. And then there are those... Um, in in the movement who believe that you should unionize and legalize prostitution. And I don't agree with that and and regulate it as sex workers. And so our safe house in New York was more philosophically aligned with that philosophy, and it was just baloney. A lot of those groups are funded by organized crime, by uh, pornography, et cetera. Right. And so, um, you know, we may... My director made a strategic, before I became chairman of the board of the organization, he made a strategic mistake in terms of aligning our safe house there. So that's what, ha- that's what happened on this. And so I wasn't going to run for this office, actually. Um, I, I, was, I was asked to take the leading role in the show in the second year of the show. So I was kind of being Aaron's understudy in the show. I was going to get a, autobiogra- you know, a, a book deal for my autobiography with Simon Schuster because a lot of the work I did in, in the anti trafficking movement is quite historical and my my world work i've helped make two of the world's newest countries south sudan i helped work with uh, president bush to to create the sudan peace act which created south sudan and i, I helped to create burma through my sanctions so we're going to have a big book deal about oh, about wow. that and um, so people were like you got to run you got to run and i'm like trying i tried to recruit chip haas i tried to recruit all these other people to run and they didn't want to do it and so you know we Filing deadline was December the 13th. Um, December 1st, the show gets held up. I have the meeting with the senior vice presidents of NBC like December 5th. And I remember on December 6th, people were still asking me, and, and I prayed at the radio station. I said, God, if you want me to, to run for this position, you're going to have to move the filming of the show past the March Democratic primary. At 1 o'clock that afternoon, I got a call from Don, my assistant in New York, and she goes, um, congratulations, Tommy. The execs at, at NBC have decided to resume the airing of the show. I said, when? She goes, sometime past March. They're not exactly sure. And I got goosebumps. And I looked up and I said, God, I didn't want you to tell me that. <laughs> and that's when I decided to run for commissioner. This wasn't on my plan. Right. Um, commissioner Atkinson had, had stepped away to run for county judge. 
Um, but when I looked at some of the folks on the ballot, I felt that, that they were prone to corruption. And I didn't think my community would, uh, would vote for them. And it turns out I was right. I ended up beating my opponents uh, like two to one. I, I won with nice. 64% in my primary, He's my primary runoff. And I, against eight candidates, um, two mayors, uh, two council people, and a lot of other uh, folks. Hard work, right. uh, but um, I've been blessed just to get a lot of solutions from people because I, I don't come across say, hey, I'm Tommy Calvert, best thing since sliced bread. Why don't you tell me? Why don't I tell you what to do? <laughs> right. I listen. I, I actually, uh, you probably can't tell by this monologue, but... Um, I, I just ask people, what are your top three issues and concerns? And half the people won't have anything to say. Another half will have something to say. And another half of that will have really good solutions because they're experts in their neighborhood much better than I am. And so I kept those sheets. I followed through on what people told me. Many times in the moment, I responded to, um, to those constituent needs on the doorsteps because I'd been a staffer, I'd worked as a deputy aide at city council, I was a deputy council person, I worked in the legislature as a deputy there, and I worked um, for a congressperson. So I kind of knew all the different levels of government, I'd, been, I'd even done lobbying before, um, and I'm an activist. And so I had been fighting for issues since I was a little kid. You know, I sometimes joke I didn't have much of a childhood because my dad was taking me to fight for streets in, in the community that hadn't been paid. So when I ran for office, I was able to put, I have helped secure $432 million in infrastructure without being an, without being an office holder. Right. And we have pictures. I was there at City Hall as a teenager there with the neighborhood presence, these old seniors and stuff like that. So so that that's um, that's a long story of uh, how I how I got here. It's amazing. Your campaign, did you have, I mean, I would assume you probably didn't have to campaign hard. They already oh, yeah, knew no, who I, you were. Of course I did. You did? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I had to campaign very, very hard. You just uh, had to put the pictures up. <laughs> Thank right? you, bless you, brother. Well, I can't take credit. Mom and dad got together. But, um, you know, the deal is that um, this these seats don't become open very often. I mean, Commissioner Elizondo was in office 33 years when he passed away. You know, Judge Wolf has been in office over 20 years. Commissioner Atkinson was in office 16 years. Um, Commissioner Chico Rodriguez was in office, I think, at least 16 years. Maybe, yeah, between 16 and 20. These positions don't come up very often. So when they come up, people really want them, right? An open seat. And, right. you know, if you're if you're pain in the butt, then, you know, people will go after you. Or if you take off the wrong billionaires, as I have, um, they may come after you too. But, um, yeah, my thing was... Uh, people knew that I had always been there with them in the battle. When it came to, so for example, I helped uh, when they wanted to move the nursing programs out of the inner city, San Antonio College and St. Philip's College, and put them closer to downtown Bernie than downtown San Antonio. I helped do mail pieces and organize the campaign. Uh, I had a, I had a, in my PR days, right? I had a hearst of, I got the funeral homes to drive a hearst in front of the town hall meeting. You know, saying this would be the death of our community, you know, if you <laughs> shut down. At the time, was, they were trying to shut down Sam Houston High School, actually. Why so, were they trying to do that? <laughs> Funding? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. It was school closures because of a decrease in population. Mm. And uh, as you can see today. By the way, sorry, guys, to interrupt. I feel like this thing is pushing all in Matt's drink. Matt, if you need oh. to power that off. That's good. Okay. It's I'm going to smell great when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> if you look today at what's happening on the east side, you see a renaissance. You see a revitalization. You see yep. vincification. You see people coming back. 
Um, and so I had to teach San Antonio that inner cities can be revitalized. So, so in 2009, I held a fundraiser at the Frederick Building down the street from you mm-hmm. for Mayor Julian Castro. And I had an exhibit, and it was an exhibit of Portland. Uh, because Portland had turned around its inner city tremendously. People were fleeing away from the east side, is what you're telling oh, me. Oh, yeah. If you look at, if there's actually uh, there's actually a graph uh, that the city published of, the inc- of how much tax money has increased since I became in office in 2014, 2015. I was elected in 2014. I started serving in 2015. And the, and the thing goes like this, like wow. this. Um, because I was able to empower the business community and the community about how do you bridge uh, between what can be um, a, a lot of concerns in terms of new investment, but also those who've existed, how do you maintain the cultural character of those who, who existed when sometimes people want to just get rid of them? So we still have more work to do on that side, to be perfectly honest, um, because um, I've been fighting for tax policy at the state and things, because I don't have full power. I mean. People think uh, Bear County Appraisal District is Bear County. No, it should actually be called Texas Appraisal District of Bear County because it's the state of Texas. Because if you think about it, every taxing entity is represented there. There's right. like 20 plus, right? I'm only like 12 to 17% of your bill at Bear County, right? The city is only like 17% of your bill. The school districts are 51% of your bill, okay? So the legislature has raised appraisals. They hide it on page 381 of their budget bill, so you will never find it. But they're the ones, Lieutenant Governor and the Governor, who actually mandated your appraisals increase on your property by 13.81%. And the previous year, it was 12, or previous biennium, two years, it was 12%. And the previous two years, it was 12%. And the previous two years, it was 10%. So that's why people have been looking at their tax bills and complaining, why are my appraisals going up? And, right. the, and the reason is the legislature decided to put uh, less money into schools from the general fund. And they decided to make you, the property owner, take that burden because they gave more money to transportation projects. Why did they give more money to transportation projects? Because their biggest campaign contributors are engineers, construction companies. So this is the corrupt system that I try to explain and empower people so that they can they can make the changes. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the things I'm here for is to be a change agent. Right. How do you distinguish these? Because you mentioned, you know, whenever you were first going to come into the elections, you were able to distinguish, hey, there's a lot of potential for corruption with these candidates. Mm -hmm. How do you perceive that? Is that just through your experiences working closely with, you know, municipalities in the past? Uh, It's a mixture. Okay. It's a mixture of uh, primarily being an activist and watching them over a lifetime of political service and how they were to people versus the powerful. Right. It was also as a lobbyist, and it was also as someone who was inside City Hall and state and congressional. So I got it pretty buttoned up. But my people aren't stupid. I mean, Precinct 4 is the most independent, people-centric precinct in Bear County. It is the place where we had the first woman commissioner, Helen Dutmer. Do you know anything about Helen Dutmer? She was a firebrand. She was was very... um, she was like kind of like Ann Richards, just quintessentially like Texas wit, uh, very strong. But she held the line against baloney. Okay, she represented people, held the line for taxpayers. For those like, that don't know what Precinct Four is, give yeah. us some main cross yeah. streets. Of course, you know I represent downtown. I right. have ninety-five okay. percent of downtown. 
I go southeast past Elmendorf, down 37, everything east as if you're you know, going into Eagle Fort Shell. Everything east down 10 as if you're going to Houston to the county line. Everything northeast, so the Pearl, uh, all the way t- to 10 and Hildebrand, all the way up to Cibolo as if you're going um, to cross the Cibolo River up to Austin. So the eastern half of the county. Mm-hmm. I have 12 cities under my jurisdiction and then areas that are not in a city. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. So, so we, you know, we've had people like Helen Dutmer, Commissioner Tommy Atkinson was always the most independent, uh, people like A.J. Plo, and now myself. You know, we, we, we are, that's just who Precinct 4 is. I'm just a representative of my people. When I ask questions in court, um, it's not to be honorary. It's not to try to pretend like I'm smarter than anybody else. These are the questions my constituents expect me to ask. Right. What would you say is your driving force, Tommy? I mean, you, it seems like you got a lot of drive and passion for what you're doing, right? Especially for the city, the people of San Antonio. What would you, uh, what would you, you know, what would you say your driving force is? What do you well, wake up for? Um, you know, I think that um, it's 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 manifold. I didn't kind of realize this until it until I was, frankly, in the middle of my race. It really started, I mean, it's faith. Uh, I don't wear it on my sleeve, but, you know, I believe everybody should be able to live up to their potential. I'm a person who, when people are done unjustly, like, I can't help but say something and do something, right? Um, I mean, not many people go into the bloodiest civil war in the world, in the 20th century, I should say, in Sudan and go free slaves. Like, right. that's just weird, right? <laughs> it's like, who is, who is that dude? Man. You know? It's a little different. It's a little different. I didn't grow up thinking I had free slaves. Um so it's, it's a strong faith inside. And um, my grandmother was like the neighborhood evangelist. She didn't push. I, when I, okay, so the first Latina uh, elected to city council was a woman named Maria Breria Zavol. She just celebrated her 80th birthday. Happy birthday, Maria. I've always respected her and loved her. Um, she was the anti I mean, yeah, I should say Precinct 4 is also the precinct of Maria Breria Zavol, right? Okay. So, um I wanted her endorsement in my race, and I met with her at the gyms at Hildebrand and uh, and San Pedro. Nice. And so I was. I don't want. I don't want that. That's OG, I, man. <laughs> that's, that's my hood. That's <laughs> down the street. I was conceived. Remember, so it's <laughs> my hood. So I sit down with her, and she, and I'm. I guess I'm kind of nervous. Like I maybe she can tell. I don't know what to say. And uh, she goes, "You know, I'm going to endorse you, right?" No, no, I didn't know you were going to endorse me. She says, you know, I know what kind of stock you come from. And I said, and I thought she was talking about my dad, because my dad is a prominent civil rights leader, and he's organized 30 neighborhood and civic, almost every neighborhood organization on the east side, my dad was the organizer. Nice. You know, um, so I thought she was talking about him. She goes, you know, I know your grandmother, Pearl. Oh, wow. I said, no. She said, yeah. I was the president of the Beacon Hill Neighborhood Guild, and your grandmother was in it. And she said, I would say, and Maria is like the, like, she's the strongest Latina I know. I'm just going to say it. She's the grand dame, you know? Yeah. So she, she says, um, I would have these plans in the neighborhood. We're going to do ABC. And she said, your grandmother Pearl would tell me, no, Maria, we're going to do one, two, three, ABC. And your grandmother would always win. She was always right. I said, I had no idea. I mean, my grandmother just, you know, fed me cereal and, you know, good, you know, pig's feet and stuff like that. I mean, just had a good time, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I never heard anything about that. So I think in a lot of ways our family has has just kind of, I mean, she was the person, 
I I saw it in a different way. She was a person when you needed like marriage counseling, she'd give it to you. When you needed food, she would feed you. So I, I, I kind of saw that. And then my father took it to a whole nother level, right? Like he, he took it to a whole nother level. And then I think I've taken that to another level in our family too, in terms of serving people. So that's just what we love doing. We, we like to serve people. So good deal. Yeah. What's the, oh, go ahead, Matt. No, I was going to say, so, I mean, you're 40 years old, which we were talking about this last time. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're older, we've got youngins in the room, but um, we still got a lot to do. So you've got a lot of chapters you've been through. Kind of yeah. how I look at it. Sounds yeah. like you've got those chapters too. What's the rest of that book look like for you? Well, here's the here's the great thing that I've learned in my wisdom at forty. What what was on my plan, I've learned to throw that out. Yeah. Because what God had planned for me was much better than what I had planned. I never thought I'd be commissioner, but now that I'm here, I understand why I'm here. Right. I'm here to protect people, whether it was in the pandemic or the seniors who froze on Fair Avenue when we brought two hundred of them into the Grand Hyatt. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to change things. So, uh, I mean, I literally began to free slaves because I saw a flyer, and it, it was like on a pole at, co- at my college, and it said, come here, a former slave speak. And I'm like, what? What is that? Like, I did a double take. I'm like, come here, a former slave speak. Is this person like 200 years old? The power of marketing. <laughs> and so, like, uh, what I had, I thought I'd be state rep first. You know, I thought yep. that's where I would start. So I've really learned to go where I'm needed. So my whole thing is, you know, how, and I didn't want to run for commissioner. I was not going to run for this position because I ran for Congress and I was very disillusioned with politics. I always was because as an activist and as a organizer and as an organizer and activist son, we are trained to have a healthy distaste of politicians. Of course. So uh, I went through the process of running for Congress. I ran as an independent. Um, and I raised, I was 25, 26 by the time the election happened. I raised over $100,000 in two and a half months, which was pretty good for that age. But, uh, and I won all the debates. And actually, Gardner Selby of the Austin American Statesman wrote, Tommy Calvert is the best person not elected to Congress this year in his year in review, you know, because he moderated one of the debates and he was impressed with my, I mean, I was a two time state debate champion. So, you know, I, I know nice. what I'm doing. You had the advantage. But, um, but I was, I, I mean, I had, left all my work, all my clients, because when you run for political office, you got to give up all your clients, right? Um, I had loaned my campaign $30,000, which was a lot of money at 25, 26. I had to restart all over again, which was hard. I mean, you know, I went, I've, I've been through having my car repoed. I've, I've been through losing a home I, I, because I gave all that to the community. So at the time in 2013, um, I had... I was really broke, really, really broke. Um, and I just didn't think I could I could carry the community on my shoulders again. I'd, I'd done the radio station as a nonprofit for the community. I wasn't really making any money. Uh, and, I, and I needed a sign from God. This has to be, like, you got to give me a sign if you really want me to do this because I'm spent. I'm through. Uh, and he did. And the rest is history. So I don't know. I don't know where the future is. But um, I... Meditate every day, um, and I and I move with the spirit. Meditation's important, man. Yep. I know that sounds like a baloney no, answer, but that's no, my life. No. That's I true. Mean, actually, no, no. I mean, if we sat here and talked through it, I, the exact same thing for me. My first chapter was a teacher. Now yeah. I'm a lawyer. Wow. Would I have ever seen that I was going to be a lawyer? <laughs> no. Do I know where I'm going to be at 50? Not a clue. Yeah. But same thing, right? Faith. 
So one of my chapters, a little bit of politics, um, and I just didn't have a taste for it. I was city councilman over at Shirts. Cool. What was the tagline? Um, so I had no idea Shirts you were city councilman. Yeah, I was. <clears throat> what years? Uh, 2009 and 10. Okay. Yeah. Same thing, right? City councilman, small town, yeah. state rep. That's Great what town. I was thinking. Yeah. But I got some surprises when you sit in the chair. Sure. Um, it's a lot different, you know, standing on the outside, mm-hmm. you know, fighting, you know, on principles, which mm-hmm. you did. I mean, that's the same thing I did. I self-financed small town, but small mm-hmm. town politics actually can be a little bit, you know, crazier than even big <laughs> politics. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We are small town. I, I know all of us are as well. Yeah, yeah. What was the biggest surprise for you when you got to actually sit in the chair? What was that biggest aha from looking at as an activist, you know, seeing the community, you know, seeing the peers? Because you were a lot more informed than I Well, I, 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 okay. So when I, I told the voters I would be the most prepared commissioner that they ever elected. And I'm not trying to brag, but that was true. So it's not that I didn't see it. I did see it. Um, what I'm going to say is it will blow people's minds, but the people, the, the politicians they think are heroes are many times villains. Mm. Mm-hmm. The people we we put up and name things after and glorify are into some really bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, and the public is largely blind. And if you were to tell them, they wouldn't really believe it. So I say this. I'll say it this way. I told people. I used to tell Sister Gabrielle Ohan, I helped the Sisters of the Holy Spirit sell their convent um, on Yucca Street. I said, Sister, pray for me. I'm going into the belly of the beast. I didn't know how prophetic that was when, when, when I, uh, it would come to me later. That was really prophetic. Now, the great thing is she taught me, she said, Tommy, she's Irish. Tommy, I pray for you, but remember, you can always pray for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> And so my faith has increased since being here. So it's all for good. Sure. It's all for good. But I think um, just the level of greed, corruption, um, self-centeredness, um, the mask are very, uh, sure. very elaborate. That's the I thought that only existed on Wall Street, man. Uh, I saw that too. How do you keep yourself grounded? Meditation, faith? Works. Well, I'm always being hunted. In politics, I'm well. That anybody that's at the top is going to be hunted, right? Well, yeah, and, and whether I'm at the top or not, I don't know. But um, anybody who fights corruption for sure will sure. be. And so, uh, being persecuted in that way, and the public largely doesn't really know what that means, and they won't for a long time. But um, you know, I keep. I think that I think in a lot of ways that has kept me kept me grounded. I think that persecution has been for my good. And so it's, it's, it's deepened my faith. And then, you know, I make concerted efforts to make sure I'm not a prima donna politician. You know, I make sure that I'm in the field, that I'm doing things, that I, you know, take care of my own stuff. I don't let anybody, you know. So just try to remain who I am. And I think I've, I think I've done a fair job. I don't think I've changed. I think I'm the same dude before and in. I, you know, there's a little, there's a significant difference when you govern as opposed to being an activist. But I think I've still had the activist fire it's that's no different so um i i think also when you realize that there's a higher there's a higher purpose it because that corruption that evil that greed that affects people mm-hmm. and um and so i realize that the good lord has put me in a place to to watch over them and i'm one of the only ones that's doing that and it's a very lonely space but i think now people are starting to see it um, they're starting to get 
they kind of they're awakening. They're seeing the differences, and um, and so we've changed. Things have changed. My court has changed. Uh, it's going to continue to change, um, and I think that um, I think people are going to start to exercise their vote and maybe in different ways than what the money people thought they. It's should. an interesting time right now because you know we were just talking when we grew up here, right? But you mentioned the ten years. Of those on, you know, I'm now the dean of the commissioner's court, right? And and look, there's more change coming, right? There's there's more change coming to our city. There's more change coming to county politics. You look at just you know the unknown with regard to state politics. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Matthew McConaughey, um, yeah. I yeah, see those posts all the yeah. time, right? Yeah. So but it's just very interesting <laughs> for us in a generation growing up here, right? And now seeing this yeah. fun, it's exciting too. Yeah, it's very exciting um, to see. What do you see for your district? I mean. Mm. Um, you know, you're. Um, I grew up that that area. Yeah, and sure. There's been a lot of growth. I, I live yeah. out in the Stone Oak area yeah, now, yeah. which that was where all the really you know. Yeah. But now yeah. that's a little bit. Remember where nobody? Yeah, exactly. I, I went to El Dorado Elementary. Okay, cool. That, well, I was right down the Parent Bible. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's my a babysitter lived up there. Yeah. What's <laughs> El Dorado? I love El Dorado. Yeah, great. I still go there for the neighborhood meetings. I'm yeah. watching out for El Dorado. There you go. It's my precinct. There you go. There you go. But. Um, so again, group in that community. There's been a lot of exodus, yes. but there's a lot of opportunity. Oh, yeah. in that, priest, yeah. in that yeah. area. No so, what do you see for business? What Got do you it. see for the community as that now gets to get? In so, place? if you divide the county into hemispheres between western and eastern, right? The last 40, 50 years have been largely developing the western hemisphere. Right. The next fifty are the eastern. Okay. And that's not by accident. That's my hand, and that's my work. Um, and so, um, you know you will see the greatest renaissance and revitalization in the in my precinct uh, maybe ever by the time by the time I am uh, I hang it up and um, so you're you're seeing for example in places out and let's just take for for example out in shirts area if you go off 15 18 15 16 yep. around St. Hedwig you're yep. finally starting to see development mm -hmm. uh, you go out 87 down by China Grove and 1604, you're seeing a lot of development. Rigsby will be like Bandera in the next decade. Um, out even in Elmendorf. Elmendorf, I created a tax increment refinance zone that's going to quadruple the size of Elmendorf. I'm working on all kinds of huge projects. I mean, um, yeah, it's going to be, we have the hottest real estate with the greatest ROI. I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, that's why probably, you know, you've moved here to be in the center of a lot of activity. You're seeing the renaissance right. of downtown. All that's things that I've been, because I lived in Boston. I lived in Washington. I lived in France. I lived in India. I've lived all, all traveled all over the world. And I said, my city's fallen behind. Mm -hmm. And young people want a different kind of city in order for us to retain them, we've got to we got to increase. So the arts residence in Thompson Hotel. I went over to Vietnam and China to help raise about fifty million dollars in foreign investment to help our American investors who own it. Um, so that's part of me internationalizing and making people realize that uh, green is green, right? And that you can get that from all over. And they open their businesses here uh, because the world is going to be more global, and we're going to have the opportunity to live in other countries and work. Right. Tell, tell us about, uh, you and I spoke about Calvin Harris coming to town oh, a couple of months well, ago. I feel like we need to touch on that, man. Well, that's one of the things that held San Antonio. You know, we have right. the shirts, keep San Antonio lame, right? Right, right, right. Keep Boston weird, right. you know. 
And so during the 300th anniversary, we were going to do the biggest fireworks show in the history of San Antonio. I mean, we were going to pay like 350, 375 or something like that for fireworks because it's oh. our 300th, right? Along the mission reach. It's huge. So the mission reach and the missions are the first UNESCO World Heritage location in the state of Texas. And so what does that mean? Most, most of us, because it's a first, don't know what that means. People in Europe and people in Asia actually choose their vacation based upon where it says you should go visit World Heritage sites, right? So I said, look, they don't know San Antonio. I mean, we're competing with the Vatican and, you know, I mean, we're competing with all the world, you know, great wonders. So how do you, how do you get enough? So I said, look, why don't we invite Calvin Harris to choreograph with the fireworks show? Oh, wow. And because the music they listen to, EDM and things like that over, you know, around the world. It's DJ of our time. Right. So we had the money, you know, I was carving it out. And um, I was getting closer. I was talking to agents. I was getting really close because, you know, I'm in the entertainment industry. I can, you know, I was just right on the precipice. And I'm in court, and they burst my bubble, the old guard. I said, people come here. We're going to have all local artists. People come here to hear the local musicians. Now, it's not to say you couldn't have done both. Right. You could have had both. But the truth of the matter is that some of those folks were actually taking a piece of what the artist were going to make local. Back to the corruption. They, they knew the agents. And that's what's holding San Antonio behind, that kind of corruption. Right. So we didn't have Calvin Harris. And I decided, actually, on the 300th anniversary, I got invited to the Kentucky Derby, and I decided to go. I said, screw this. this like, Come out. <laughs> I never thought I'd get invited to the Kentucky Derby. So I'm like, let me go see what they do here. Because I'm going to take the ideas from the Kentucky Derby. I'm going to try to bring them back here. Right. Okay? had a damn good time. And it was probably better than what, whatever they did here. I hope you all enjoyed I it. I would have done the same. I'm just saying. I would have done the same. Right? I mean, I'm just saying. I was so upset yeah, uh, at, at the blown opportunity. And I understand the fireworks show was kind of a flop anyway. I, was, I right. don't know. Who knows where the money went? I well, don't even know about it, so that's exactly. I mean, and I love the. Uh, they were shocked I didn't show up for any of it. I'm like, y'all think this is a good time? So tell me, so sports. We just had the women's final four here. We've had that several times, right? Put it seems that the NCAA likes us for those. What else are we going to do to put ourselves on the map? We've got the Alamo down there. I mean, what? It's you know, what do you see as the future becoming a destination? We've got a lot of investment in. You know, the facilities for youth and amateur, which, you know, growing up here, man, I mean, I played soccer. Mm -hmm. And I remember playing in parking lots as one of the, you know, elites. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. the classics elites, which are great, the Lions, the you know, all these guys that are have, man, we were the elites. We were playing in parking lots. You had to pull the stickers out of you and watch out for the concrete you were on as a kid growing up here. But mm -hmm. there's been a lot of growth of those mm -hmm. for the youth and amateur. But how do we make us a better like how are we going to become bigger to have more of those big events along with while the preserving the San Antonio culture while right? preserving that's the culture, we got a lot of yeah. culture here because everybody loves it when they get here how do we get them here well you know uh number one we have to keep our skyline and our infrastructure modern and i think we're about to go through a venue tax election in november to imagine the next 50 years of our sports venues mm -hmm. so i have called for on the soccer tip you know we got into a really weird deal with the usl I've actually been trying to see if we go into um, Liga Meiko, wow. which is actually a better uh, caliber of soccer player than USL, uh, and trying to negotiate uh, that. And 
allocate whatever money we need to do to make uh, the current um, uh, uh, San Antonio uh, FC stadium go from 8,000 to 18,000 for major league uh, type level. Sure. Right. I don't know if that'll be successful because the art old guard is fighting uh, to try to build a $180 million minor league baseball stadium downtown. I've seen those plans, yeah. Yeah, which my community is against. Uh, it would be one thing if it were a major league. Sure, right. But for $180 million for minor league out of a pandemic and all the needs and yep. all the It's things, a little weak. Even yeah. before, even before. Now, what I've told the county judge is that, look, uh, you if you were to put an affordable housing component with it, because right now what's happening is our policy is only incentivizing the highest rents and highest mortgages downtown, right? right. But 80% of people don't make those wages here. And they're watching us as elected officials, okay? There's enough money in the trough. I mean, the county is about to get $388 million from the feds. There's enough money for us to have working people, who people who work at you know the Grand Hyatt or wherever in downtown, to have... You know, we just give the developer more money, to be honest with you, so it lowers the construction sure. costs right. and the rent price gets... Yep. That's, and I'm okay with that. And I think the voters are okay with that. If they feel... Because everybody pays into these incentives, so why right. shouldn't they be able to benefit from these incentives, right? right? Why should only 10 or 20% be able to benefit? That that That's just backwards. And that's where we are in San Antonio and a lot of our policy. So... Um, so I, I think that's the one way to do it. We're looking at um, an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that California is basically through. I mean, the, the motion picture industry could be in Texas. It started in San Antonio. So I'm working on recruiting major motion picture in, in that's right. industry. That's right. Silent, silent movies. I was, yeah. I saw Star Films. Clips. Paramount yeah. Studios actually has their um, the building still here yeah. by Saving Street. So the Paramount original building is actually there. That's Hot picture, Wells. Right? Hot Wells, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hot Wells. Hot Wells I, I negotiated that park and, and revitalized that um, Hot, Wells, Hot Wells thing. So um, I'm, I'm looking. I just pass a, helped pass a $100 million bill through the house um, for incentives for the motion picture industry and we got to get through the senate and get the governor to sign it but i think texas has an opportunity to take that gdp that made california one of the strongest economies in the world and bring it to texas austin is doing it already man i got i got film producer friends. not on the extent that i'm going to do it yeah you talk uh, about san antonio specifically I, what i'm working on could be the largest economic development project in the history of the state wow that's great and it's centered in san antonio yes sir it's huge create opportunity man. in precinct four god's country <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you talked about the yeah. the residential. I, so we've been, you know, the commercial as far as office spaces, mm-hmm. trying to be down here. I mean, we're down here in San Antonio. Love this area. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm glad we're here. But but what brought us here was the fact that rents to try to move a business into downtown San Antonio as startups. I do a lot of work with startups. You're talking forty to forty five dollars a square foot. Right. Um, you know, for tech companies and those sort of things is, is very prohibitive. And we've got a lot of empty buildings now, yeah. you know, right. downtown. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the vision of now rebuilding our business community down in San Antonio? Well, there's a couple there's a couple different ways to look at it. One, I think the county can be part of a small business incubator to have space that we provide for folks. We may end up doing it on my 51-acre campus that I'm building up at 1604 in Rocket Lane. Okay. Right by the Randolph Air Force Base. Um you know, the whole commercial market is going to go through a major adjustment. Obviously, we see more people telecommuting. There's pros and cons, right? Sure. So from an environmental standpoint, the telecommute saves air emissions. 
um, when people don't have to always be there. Um, but I think the repurposing of people in commercial spaces into housing. Uh, so, for example, our big box stores, right? Yep. They're not necessarily coming back, but they would make good places for seniors in different apartments. If you break them up, you put two floors, you know, mm-hmm. begin to, they're, you know, right. they're basically a square box, right? Yep. So, um, I, I haven't reached a full conclusion on the commercial market yet because some of the mar- market forces, you know, we got to communicate, we got to have some talks and figure out, you know, who's doing telecommuting, who is going to need the density. I mean, I love the vitality of a, of a downtown, of, sure. a, of an inner city that we've never really had with locals, at least we've had it with right. tourists, but I don't know which corporations are going to, you know, force their, their folks back. Um, right. So the market may correct itself. So those prices, I mean, I, you know, I, I am, my radio station's located where it is because I think I got the best deal. I have a really good deal. You know, I don't want to say, but we got a really good deal. Yeah, here. we did. Yeah, good. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> at, I'm in Windcrest, you know, um, and I have a really good deal. Um, and all business people are having to make decisions about, you know, well, can we get it done home office and can sure. we just do a shared workspace and sure. all that. So um, I know I didn't really answer the question, but, I, you know, I think it's a mix of getting some input from the market and then there may need to be adjustments. And what the market will do if they decide to go into housing is they'll come to the court and they'll ask us for incentives to help convert it, and more than likely we'll give it to them. I like the incubator. I mean, there's a lot of that kind of opportunity around here. And, again, these small businesses, they need mentorship. Mm-hmm. You know, Geekdom's a great, you know, great right. community ad, but it, it's also just in one place. How do you make that accessible to everybody, you know, with the opportunities here? So I think it's great. I yeah. think also Accelerator, right? One thing that San Antonio doesn't do well is invest in its own. So yeah. um, we, we need to look at how do I take a million-dollar business and make it a $10 million business and a $10 million business to make it a $100 million yep. business? And how do I make the San Antonio business export across Texas cities and then ex- export across the United States and then export across the world? That's really where we need to think more about. We, we have a... Uh, uh, the right word i can't think of it we kind of have it's not a chip but it's a uh, an inferiority complex about our about doing business with our own local folks a lot of times yeah and i feel that a lot mm-hmm. yeah i mean i had the city of la as my client doing marketing before i ever had the city of san antonio i fact, right. I, I i had them as a client on the radio station side but i never had them as a marketing client and uh, all the production houses were like tommy you do really brilliant ads i don't know why you're not doing more work here i'm like well you know i don't either but, right um most of my business was in california yeah, I feel that a lot specifically, of course, being in media and the people that we talk to on a weekly basis. And, you know, we know who's out there. We know who our competitors are. But, um, yeah, there's definitely uh, there's definitely inferiority well, there. Well, part of it is you need elected officials who are ch- who, who will champion and really understand it. Right. So if you, ha- if you get to be an elected official and you've never had to make payroll and pay rent right. and you've never gone up against, you know, in government contracting the, the rejection you don't really know what that's like. We had a system here where council people used to be paid $20 a meeting. So what does that mean? That means you either had to be in business for yourself or some rich person who was controlling everything gave you a job. Yep. And more than likely, that rich person has the ability to have campaign contributions and things tilt the way they want their business as opposed to you, the startup, small business person. So 
There's a lot of things systemically that are stacked against opportunity, but government is supposed to be the stepping stone so that you can go from city of San Antonio or Bear County to Coca-Cola. And right. you can say to Walmart, I've had a big client, you know, county has a $6 billion annual budget, you know, I can service you. Right. That's what we're supposed to do. But, but frankly, we haven't had uh, enough Latino politicians, minority politicians, open the doors of opportunity for small business people here. And so there's a report that's going to come out. It's going to talk about, uh, it's a disparity study, and it's going to show uh, how bad Bear County really did in, in all these. And you can bite me back. We can go over that. But When is that coming out? I don't exactly know. They, they'd, lo they'd love for it not to come out. I, I imagine the next this year, 90 though. days. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, uh, that's, that's optimistic. Right. I mean, it's ready, but, you know, the, the belly of the beast wants to suppress it. Of course. Of course. Um Champion Endeavors, I want to go back to, because I feel it's important. I know there's there's people in the audience right now that are kind of questioning, you know, how 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 does someone start from the bottom and start to forge deals such as the Thompson Hotel getting funded by the investor groups that you brought in, right? So these are Champion Endeavors that I've seen, that I've seen that, uh, that you have brought forward. How does that happen, man? How, you just make a phone call and, hey, I'm going to go back to my contacts in Vietnam or? One of the things I campaigned on was EB-5. I don't think most people understood what that was when I was talking about it, but I explained, hey, this is where high net worth foreigners invest in an American business or nonprofit. Right. They have to get their return within, um, I think, nine years. But in exchange, they get a citizenship and, and they relocate, in a lot of cases, relocate their own businesses to the United States. Right. And I, and I, and I had seen other projects in the country um, that, that had happened that way. So, um, a lot of them were multifamily. Apartment complex, sure, right? Yeah, Back yeah, in yeah. the sure. 2013s. Sure, yeah. So the Houston EB-5 studied me and my leadership, and they made a decision to come to San Antonio because of kind of putting it out in there, in the atmosphere, that I'm campaigning on this, I want to see this happen. And so I really got to see how to do it the right way from them because a lot of San Antonians didn't understand how to make it work. When you are trying to pitch for someone to invest a half million dollar in your business and they live in... Singapore, right. you don't just go over there and make a pitch. It doesn't right. just, they don't just write you a check. There's relationship building. There's right. people you have to have on the ground over there right. over the long-term relationship building. So uh, the Houston EB-5 had done that. They're not the biggest out there. They're not the smallest. They're right in the middle. Uh, but it was really exciting because one of the things about that the Arts Residence and Thompson Hotel is that the ownership is white, black, and brown. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It never happens like that. You know, I mean, it's like a diverse... $140 million project. That's great. Right. Yeah. And and by extension, the ownership is also now part international because if they buy, you know, half a million dollar condo investment and want to live in it, the, the folks, the millionaires, frankly, they're millionaires from overseas. Right. That's a great thing, yeah. you know, um, right. because what I see for the north end of downtown because of that development is that there will be a little Vietnam and a little China and a little Italy. And, you know, we can start to kind of grow a little international village. I mean, I would love to see by the Columbus Center like a little Italy, right? Like, what, do you, what do you say to the crowd that doesn't want that? Because <laughs> I think it's important to have, though. I, uh, I feel it's important that growth to happen, but there's a lot of people oh, pushing back know, on that this, in San Antonio. So I'm gonna give what do you thoughts. mean by that? I mean, like, well, who's pushing back? Well, I mean, if they are. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I went to the you know, University of Alabama. I love my Crimson Tide, but I came back here with my family mm -hmm. because of the diversity. Mm -hmm. 
because of culture. Because when you start going around, you either have a lack of identity, which Boston you brought up, great, but it's very small community identities. The overall city is just a big city, right? These mega San Antonio though had culture, has culture. Right, right, right. So those sort of culture enhancements, that's what our community needs. I mean, my opinion doesn't matter if they don't like it or not. That's why we're here. Yeah, um, I think history. I think I think uh, you know the long. You know, when you're an activist and you've been fighting for core things your whole life, you have a longer view of how things evolved. We've been able to move progress. Right. So to those who are opposing it, the world is moving that direction. Right. right. Now I recognize. I was watching uh, Bill Maher uh, a couple weekends ago, and he had President Obama's. Uh, believe the title is social scientist. So he helps with the polling and stuff. And he said, you know, most people don't have liberal values, the values of diversity, those things. Some, some people that literally makes them go crazy all day. Right. They see diversity and they are um, confounded by it, upset by it. And, um, you know, so he was kind of talking through with, more progressive-minded people, just kind of the reality, um, because of why he was explaining why polling data was off mm. in the last couple of elections. So anyway, uh, that that being said, I think that over time, as people, I mean, we do have, I mean, we do have a prevailing political stream of white supremacy that is fighting as hard as hell in the face of diversity. Right. Um, and I don't believe that white supremacy will be successful, but it's going to be a tit for tat war, unfortunately, um, until we have peace and until they all die off. Well, is it older generation or is it younger generations that are, that are following this lead? It's both now. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some younger ones don't realize when they're actually doing it. It's true. Yeah. Um, but, um, but we're going to work this out. And, I, and, and that, I think, is what I think that is one of the things that we have to learn as a, as a human family. I think it's one of the most difficult things for people to live side by side with somebody who they think is different. But race is a man made thing. There's only one race, the human race. Right. You know, right. it's not white, black, brown. We're all human beings. And the sooner we start to realize that, you know, we're going to be a much more peaceful planet. You know, that brings me to a subject, and I don't know if you're uh, free to speak about this, but we're in early elections right now in the city of San Antonio, correct? Yes, this is uh, early um, voting time, yes. And at the moment, there is talk in the news, right, that there is, um, let me say, police officers killing predominantly black people or, or people of color. Um, Proposition B is on the ballot. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have... Are you able to speak on that? Yeah, it's very clear to me. Proposition B is not defunding police. It's right. uh, it's uh, it is an accountability measure. And um, when professors and CNN and the Washington Post use your city as the case study, I mean, literally, professors are in colleges teaching about how bad San Antonio's police union contract is. Oh, it's ridiculous! I read it yesterday, and I read it for the past couple of weeks. I am not anti-police. No, I pushed. I in my First year in office, I gave my sheriff's deputies the largest pay increase in the state of Texas, 15.5% pay increase. Uh, you ask any deputy sheriff, have I been there for them? I also was against defunding the constables. 
And I said it in front of, let's just say, Black Lives Matter people. My family, uh, we go into public housing, and we, we're called the cleaners because we clean up bad, crime-ridden neighborhoods. We work with police. I did anti-trafficking work. I work with law enforcement all the time. Being for Proposition B is not being is not defunding. Here's what here's what happened. Yep. Union bosses got in front of their members and said, and 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 said, you know, they're going to start, you know, taking your positions away and blah 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 blah. At the same time, some of the Black Lives Matter groups fell into their hands by coming up with with bad terminology like uh, defund the police. Right. That's terrible language. They should have talked about reimagining policing. Right. Because, for example, um, uh, I, I have to figure out how much I can talk about. Uh, yeah. let, me, let me talk about, because this is, a, this is a case that's being settled in San Antonio. Some of you know there was a six-year-old boy in shirts who was shot in a motorhome. Um, a very tragic, beautiful little boy. It broke my heart. I mean, the kid is just gorgeous six-year-old kid. And... The woman who did it, when I got the facts, is clearly mentally ill. Mm. Okay? One, she claimed to have a weapon and told the police, I have a weapon. She didn't have a weapon. Okay? Now, nobody in their right mind tells a, tells a police officer, I got a weapon, and right. doesn't have a weapon. She's right. crazy. Right. Okay? Goes on a run. Um, it ends up... Six-year-old shot, you know. So now, in defense of the police officers, when they think someone has a weapon and can endanger others, they have to use lethal force potentially. So I get that. But I do believe that the community does need to reimagine policing because I think so many of these calls of mental health could be de-escalated by a professional who knows the psychology of someone going through a psychosis. Right. And, you know, so many times, you know, let's just take probably around your offices here. You may see a homeless person and say, you know, they're hitting at the window. You know, they're a crazy, crazy person trying to break a window or break into a car or whatever. And in a lot of cases, they just really need to get in meds and get in a stable environment and, right. you know, things like that. And so um, when you look at these traffic stops, for example, like where it's a it's a registration expired and then someone gets killed like it's this escalated into this a just situation doesn't seem balanced yeah. to me right so i've also told both i've had an, what i call an independent path i've told both the black lives matter and the and the and the police folks i said look what we need in san antonio is assisted living for folks who are mentally ill oh, yeah. we need to build an apartment complex where they have the ability to stay on their meds see a doctor and have a supportive community and build trust with a clinician because it takes folks who have schizophrenia, phobias, bipolar disorder, it takes time for them to trust someone. So you need a supportive right. com community, an apartment, whatever place, you, that's what you need. We have, we have not been doing it the right way. With all due respect to Haven for Hope, it is a model that was best practices 20 years ago. It is no longer. I, talk, I go on the streets myself, under the bridges, right by you. And I talk to them, and Haven for Hope has a bad brand with the homeless now. Oh, yeah. On the winter storm, I was out. I was at, on Broadway at uh, Grayson at the Valero there. I saw a young man who was homeless. I said, will you go to um, Haven? He said, no, man. I'm not going because 
three people died there last night. They just gave us a sheet, no real blanket, and they froze to death. Right. What was I going to say? Right. Well, and, and I've run, I've done the same thing here under the bridge, real close to us. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got basically a city that's mm-hmm. been created. Yeah. We've pushed right. them off private property. Hey, Street Bridge, right here. Three yeah, three I've been all up in there. And the they'll tell you, too, is they can't get in. Even the ones that want to get in, they're disqualified from walking in. Well, Haven has some stupid rules. Because they've got that criteria. that, that gets Well, they've got some, let me give you another stupid rule. Yeah. Uh, they have the hotel at Cesar Chavez right now. Okay. Okay, the Holiday Inn there. Yeah. They have to be in by 5 is their curfew. Mm-hmm. Now, there's the working poor. If you're working from 8 sure. to 5 right. and you're there at 530, Haven says you're not you can't you come in. in. Yeah. Wow. Now, how stupid is that? Yeah, that's really. Ridiculous. So, what I've done is I've allocated four million dollars from the inner city tours to um, the the first tiny home village for the homeless, where we're going to have apartments, RVs, um, all kinds of different housing to take two hundred and five people off the streets. It's a housing oh, first. It's a first housing first. But guess what? We have three thousand homeless people in the in the city now. We've 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 greatly increased. We actually need every council district to have something like that right. in order to do this because. When I was at the National Association of Counties Conference, they had United Healthcare, the second largest insurance company in the United States, do a seminar with Milwaukee County. United Healthcare actually pays for the rent for uh, folks to get housing, and they pay uh, for the staff person to find housing for folks who are suffering mental illness. Why? Because, you know, insurance companies have actuaries and they have all kinds of modeling that they use to, you know, whatever. They found that for every dollar you invested in housing, they saved on counseling, to be perfectly honest. So it's actually a better cost-benefit analysis for us to provide a housing to stabilize those folks, and their whole outcome in life is going to be better. San Antonio has been, frankly, using the San Diego transitional home haven model, and now the federal government has said and told us the model is housing first. So I've been pushing for that. I've finally been able to, to get some money for it. I'm going to try to get another $7 million because it's a $26 million total project. But I allocated $4 million, very proud of that, wow. and um, helped to fight for their zoning and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be on Dietrich Road, uh, not far from where I grew up. Let, let me ask you, too, mental, mental, um, mental illness is that silent disease mm. that is running rampant mm. in our country. And I, I talked to you a little bit about my health care experience. Um, how do we address the access to the right providers for mental health care? The last documents that I saw, we were running a hundred, a deficit mm-hmm. of a hundred licensed psychologists, mm-hmm. psychiatrists, mm-hmm. however it is, a hundred mm-hmm. people we needed just to catch up. Mm-hmm. And every single year it gets to be bigger and bigger. But, um, you know, going through the community, I, I'm a big advocate of therapy. Mm-hmm. I think everybody should you know, look to do that. It's a cash pay. The guys yeah. like us, mm-hmm. we, we, we can get in because mm-hmm. we can pay the cash. Right. Um, the people that need it, they can't get in because yeah. they're not taking government right. programs. Right. They're saying, you know, it's it's too expensive. How do we Two make answers. that better? Two answers. One, um, we know that a lot of folks who go to medical school are not going into psychiatry because um, they don't make as much as other MDs or DOs. So what you do, what I would do, what I've been pushing for, for example, at Bear County, uh, is to allocate a million dollars for scholarships for medical school students who will who will major in psychiatry as their, as their specialty, and we will cover their medical um, college 
tuition. So that's one. We've got to incentivize the pathway by taking that, you know, and right. and then requiring them to work, you know, in the community for a certain amount of years because of that commitment. The second thing is there has to be national reimbursement um, changes. And so there's carrot and stick in government. And if I were government, I would I would incentivize insurance companies to increase their pay by making um, a bill to that end. But I would probably first uh, organize more assisted living housing like what I talked sure. about because of the, the statistics where the dollars you invest in housing end up you saving on treatment, right? So, so in phases, I'd get the pipeline of talent through scholarships. I'd build more assisted living. And then thirdly, I'd work on the reimbursements through incentives. Okay. Makes sense. Tommy, um, I know we're running close on time. I try. Makes <laughs> sense. What um, would it be close with, man? What's the most important message right now for the San Antonio community? What do, what, what do, uh, what do the young folks need to hear right now? Well, um, you know, young energy is really the greatest positive change um, for our country. That energy uh, probably saved the country in a lot of ways from what I think was happening, which was a move toward di dictatorship, less freedom. Right. And uh, so I would say to young people, keep being yourself, love uh, your neighbor, um, and look for um, the ability to get mentored into your community in some way for the issues you care about. You don't have to be an activist. If you're interested in science or if you're interested in sports, you know, uh, try to partner with those who have, uh, experience life a little bit and can give you the cliff notes that, I mean, cliff notes is a very old sounding thing, but they're like, yeah, is that, a, is that an app? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cliff notes app. See if they can give you the cliff notes app. Um, and, and of course, um, you have to have a certain level of, of humility. Some, sometimes even me, I'm not saying I was immune from this. Um, Sometimes some young people think they know everything. I've been very happy with a lot of the folks in the Black Lives Matter movement locally. They've learned from people like my father and other elders very well. Um, and they've kind of taken that um, wisdom. And that's important. And it's important for the or for the elders to pass it on. Because in San Antonio, we have a lot of people who want to hold on to power until they die. Right. That's stupid. I'm going to tell you, I will not be old in public office. I will serve my time. And I will get out of it uh, so that I can enjoy my last years with my family. Because it's a sacrifice when you are, um, it's just a sacrifice. You right. give up a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, you know, I think, you know, keep championing. But I think young people, there's two strands uh, that they have to be careful about. One is um, I'm concerned kind of about the handout, the handout mentality. Right. The over... Um, a reliance upon the government to give you everything. Uh, I am I am concerned about that, and by extension, I'm also concerned about in an effort to come out of crisis and get things done that they'll trample civil liberties and civil rights and freedoms, right? right. Because they're so results oriented that they just want to get things done and they forget that the country is a free country. So I think I'll be uh, a safe landing space as an elected official for those who are progressive, but also who are conservative, um, and try to um, make common ground. And right. I think that um, they ha there has to be a sense of history that um, things don't happen in a microwave. They don't always happen in an instant. 
But if you take the long view of things, things will continue to get better. And you've got to incorporate other opinions. Um, you will do much better policy if you do. Yeah, it's always important to listen, right? We have to, uh, we have, to, we have. I mean, as human beings, I think there's one opportunity is, of course, we have to know when to speak up. There's yeah. also a point a where... A lot of people don't in San Antonio. Yeah. There's a lot of people staying away from battles. It's true. But there's also a point where sometimes we just need to take a back step and maybe keep our mouth shut and just sure. kind of observe sure. what's what's the behavior right. what's what's the what i say is what's the market currently doing mm. and then make a decision based on what you see and then proceed from or that. learn and research part of right. i think part of my whatever public success in in being a good policy guy mm-hmm. is that one i started early and i had mentors who were all the neighborhood presidents when my dad was taking me all those things they were all retired basically right, right? then i i got put on the public speaking circuit at about 14 years old so I began to read a lot of other great speakers, their speeches and history books and more about these issues. You know, I would get, I mean, I was Highland High School's Black History Month speaker at 15. Um, And so I'd go into John Hope Franklin's book about black history and I would read and I would come up with things I wanted to talk about. So, you you know, you got to get into the, you got to get into the history and, and you got to get into the experiences of people by listening to them. Um, so, you know, whatever success I have, even at 40, was not an overnight success. It was right. grinding work. Right. I was doing my homework at St. Mary's Hall and I was preparing speeches for, you know, whatever Methodist Church's youth day. Because right. I was a youth day speaker, things like that. So get in and learn. Well, at that age, you can't ever work too hard, in my opinion. Never stop working. I'm still working hard. Like there you that, go. So it's all good. Well, Tommy, we certainly appreciate you coming by the studio Thank today. Tommy, Thank you. Giving Enjoy us some it. time and uh, coming, of course, on the microphone and coming public. Um, Thanks for what you're doing. That closes out our show. Matt, do you have any closing remarks or anything? No, just thank you, Tommy, and best of luck to you. Man. Thank you. Keep helping yeah. the community like you do. We thank appreciate you. you. Right, thank you. We'll close out. If you guys aren't following already, make sure you look us up on YouTube. We're going to put some links on the bottom of this, whether you're watching on Spotify, iTunes. Uh, there is a video that actually flows through with the uh, with the current sound you're currently listening to. So go ahead and go to YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our page, Guru Presario. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Tommy, thanks again. My honor. Thank you. Thanks, man.